This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Students lost 3% of their lifetime income when schools closed early in the spring and summer of 2020. The growth in the gross domestic product of most industrialized countries will be set back by 1.5% as a result of the pandemic and the closing of these schools. So says a report recently released by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, known as the OECD, an international organization of countries that track the social and economic well-being of nations. So that's a lot, 1.5% less each year in the growth in GDP over a long period of time. That's a lot of money. And 3% of lifetime income is nothing to sneeze at. Well, the authors of the report, Eric Hanushek and Ludger Wussman, say that the education losses of the past year can't be made up if schools just return to business as usual this coming fall. So I am very pleased to have with me today one of the authors, Ludger Wussman, who's the director of education research at the IFO Institute in Munich, Germany. Thank you, Ludger, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me, Paul. Well, Ludger, your report discusses the impact of the losses during the first few months of the pandemic, but it's now one year later, and we know that in many countries, schools have been closed for a full school year or more. So by my back of the envelope calculations, this means that students have lost 10% of their lifetime income, if your calculations are correct. Uh, is that what you get as well? If you're saying that somebody really lost a whole year of what you generally learn uh, during a year of schooling, then on average, the, these type of students will indeed uh, lose out in terms like about 10% of their lifetime income. Um, uh, that's indeed the case. The question is, and then that's really the big if, uh, like how much learning really got lost and how much can be recouped later on? So how much has been lost? Do we have any idea of that? Now, a lot of schools say, well, we're offering courses online and kids are learning from their homes. So we're really not suffering such a loss. Is there any data that clarify this? There's one pretty great study from the Netherlands uh, that can tell us something about this. Um, because the cool thing there is, that, so basically when they only had eight weeks of, of school closures uh, in, in the spring of 2020. And then kids went back to school. So it was a pretty short lockdown. And they have their annual testing of all their, their kids in school um, just before the summer holidays. And so uh, they did it also in 2020. So basically what hardly any other country did, they did it. Um, and... Um, they have, so have, they have the data for all the kids who took this um, uh, test and they actually know how these kids did before the school closure. So they can literally look at the individual learning trajectories and compare these trajectories to previous years. Um, and so, so this study, it's done by a, a few uh, researchers at, at uh, Oxford University. Um, they basically found that indeed students lost out big time. So what they find is basically that on average, students scored the equivalent of 20% of a usual year's learning less on, on this national test 
um, compared to, to, to otherwise. Um, and the amazing thing is that if you think about eight weeks of school closures, these eight weeks are really nearly uh, one to one, this 20% of a school year, because the uh, usual school year there is about 38 uh, weeks uh, uh, of schooling. So this is one to one in, in terms of like length of school closures equivalent to average learning losses. And that's despite the case that actually the Netherlands have one of the best infrastructures for digital uh, learning uh, in the world. Um, so this is one piece of evidence that we know, and I, I guess that's about the best evidence that we have. And that's quite discouraging because at least like these short-term losses uh, were, were big. Um, and that's not super surprising also because it's it's not that it means that uh, all kids just didn't learn anything during the school closures. It really just says that like, well, for some kids, if you didn't do anything for school, what everybody knows is schooling, learning is a dynamic process. And if you stand still, you actually go backwards. So that's what most teachers know when, when kids come back after uh, summer holidays is that actually it's not that they come back at the same level with which they left before the summer, uh, summer break, but at a much lower scale. And that's the same here. We have to, we have to fear for many kids. The other thing that that study also showed is that the learning losses were much bigger from kids from uh, low SES backgrounds, particularly less educated family backgrounds. Um, so uh, it's, it's not going to be the same for every, for every kid. Uh, there's going to be a huge heterogeneity. So how much difference is there is it between the high SES and the low SES kids? Is it like, you know, 5% or 50% or can you put a number on it? In their study, it's 50% more uh, like for kids from low educated uh, parents compared to high educated parents. So it's not that the high kids from, from high SES uh, uh, families didn't lose anything. On average, they did lose, but like substantially less. So now that was in the Netherlands and that was sort of 20% or eight weeks of a school year. Uh, so how, what's the pattern more generally in the countries that you are looking at? Is there a lot of variation in the amount of uh, school closures? Um, there is, uh, that, that is actually quite, quite amazing there. So some schools had high priority of getting kids back to school and uh, instead had like much more severe uh, restrictions on adults uh, in general, just to try to contain the virus more by the adult population than, than by uh, restricting the kids' access to schools and others kept their schools closed all the time. The amazing thing is actually that that's another thing that the OECD showed is that the length of the school closures uh, around developed countries is basically not correlated at all with the severity of, of uh, the incidence of, of the virus, meaning that it's not the case that uh, like more heavily affected. Uh, so those who spend closed schools for a longer time did so because they were more heavily affected. It's really more like a, a, a policy choice. And it's kind of amazing. It seems like um, one strong predictor of how long schools were closed is that countries that did better um, or on the PISA 2018 uh, test, meaning like had 
high achieving students, high achieving schools in math and science and reading before the pandemic, they were much more likely uh, to open faster, meaning that just countries with a high focus on education and with a well-functioning education system, they were better to adapt to this unexpected um, calamity and to somehow get kids back to school much faster. So the, this countries that are good at educating kids were good at getting kids back to school. Exactly. It's not quite clear what exactly that is. I mean, they probably have a better functioning education system and so on. It may also just be that the populations have a much higher value emphasis on, on learning in general. Uh, and therefore, they were more willing to get uh, kids back to school quite quickly and maybe also more willing to accept restrictions on the adult population in order to achieve that. So which countries were the ones that opened up the most quickly? Uh, I, I don't have like the, the, the full numbers here. It's actually not part of our own study. Um, but while some of the countries that actually uh, had very short school closures were the Nordic countries, for example. Um, so the Scandinavian countries in Northern Europe. Um, although they actually had like relatively limited restrictions in many dimensions more generally. Um, within mainland Europe, so one of the countries that I know more about, like Germany was actually, uh, went back and forth about this, but then had very long school closures actually this year again. Um, and other countries like, um, the particular France, for example, they had like a, like a very severe lockdown for the adult population, but kept schools open as like much, much, much longer than Germany and had a much higher focus there. Well, do you have any evidence that this is affecting how much learning was lost at this point? Or do we have to wait for more information before we know what the impact of this variation is? Well, I, I'm not quite sure whether we're ever going to know. I mean, most countries uh, stop testing. In Germany, we don't have any like, like countrywide uh, tests of how kids are actually doing. Uh, for the US, you, you don't have that. May, like most states have, have stopped their, their usual um, testing as well. Um, so we, we will have to wait for much longer. And maybe at some stage, there's going to be another PISA test where different countries participate. And we can then see how different countries like their trajectories over time and whether that's actually to what extent that's correlated with how long school closures were and what else they did when schools were closed, whether there was a lot of online teaching or not. Um, so we, we basically have no idea about that so far. Um, and that's why in our in our report in our study, we basically do this if then statement. Like if like uh, a group of students has lost a third of a year's worth of learning, or two thirds, or one year, then we will have to expect like that and that much lost income individually. Or we can then also do projections of the GDP of the countries. And that's the stuff that we are kind of more certain about because we have all that research that connects like the skills of the population to their economic prosperity. So now some people say that all you need is the credential. You graduate from high school, you'll be able to go on to the university or you'll be able to get a job. And, uh, and it's really not anything you learn in school, it's the credential you get. So actually a lot of school districts in the United States are handing out a high school diploma based on 
uh, you know, very little evidence that the students were doing much work this past year. So is that a solution to the problem? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And I think that's one of the big yeah, things where, where people go totally wrong. It's, um, you know, there's very interesting research like long ago, or particularly for the US, showing that um, when when students enter the labor market, you first really get payoff for the credential and you're just like anybody who got a college degree gets higher earnings. But like uh, uh, the longer the kids are in the labor market then and the longer the employers observe them and learn about their actual productivity, the more actually the return to a, a mere degree declines and the more actually the degree, like the returns to the actual skills that these that they had as students increases. It's quite amazing. So at the end of the day, it's it's really the skills that are relevant that make you more productive and therefore allows employers to pay you higher wagers and also like makes the whole population of a country more productive, which then uh, uh, allows the, the country to produce higher GDP. So I think like the big fallacy is to think that um, all there is is a fixed cake and... Uh, uh, schooling just defines on how who gets what share of that cake and that's this whole idea of getting the credentials and then like uh, getting money for it but it's basically wrong like even particularly if everybody gets lower education it's it's just the case that the cake is going to shrink so everybody's going to have less because we're just producing less uh, and i think at the end of the day so there's the two basic theories uh, in the economics of education, the one the human capital theory, where the idea is education is about accumulating skills that make you more productive uh, in the economy on the labor market. And the other is the, the, the screening or signaling theory, where it's just about getting a credential uh, that basically just signals the skills that you would have had anyway, like basically uh, in terms of innate uh, abilities. Uh, and I think all the evidence that we have is that like more than 90% of the returns to to education that we see on the labor market at the end of the day in the, in the longer run or medium run uh, are really human capital returns rather than pure signaling. So you, you just can't solve this problem by handing out degrees at the end of the school year. No, you can't. <laughs> so now this is one study that uh, you uh, related in, in the, uh, the Netherlands but do we have other examples of schools closing and its effect on students' lifetime income? Uh, this is not gonna happen very often, I'm sure. COVID is a very unusual event, but are there some examples in the past that show something similar? Well, we I, I try to think a lot about that uh, in the early days of uh, of the pandemic. And I think at the end, there, there are a few examples. Nothing is, is the same. I think it's a pretty unique experience. Like, uh, and I think that's good that we don't have that experience before. But, um, you know, there's there's been actually in a few countries examples of pretty long school closures because of teacher strikes. Um, and these have been been studied, not by, by myself, by other researchers in an interesting way. So there's been, for example, uh, in, in Belgium in the, in the 90s, 1990s, uh, like in one part, in the Walloon part, there were like schools had to close because of teacher strikes for several months. And in the other part, in, um, in the Flemish part of Belgium, schools were not closed. And what so then researchers have looked at uh, the, the longer run development of the kids in the different parts. And they showed that after this um, 
school closures of several weeks and in some parts several months um these kids were doing much worse in school later on had to repeat grades more often and even in, in terms of higher education degrees they were getting much lower degrees much fewer kids got higher degrees and if they got higher degrees they were getting them in areas that paid much much less we have similar evidence for longer run effects for Canada, the province of Ontario, where teacher strikes uh, had affected uh, uh, students and there they showed lower skill gains. Um, and in a, in a study for Argentina, where they had pretty long teacher strikes at a, at a local level as well, they literally found, could follow on these students into the labor market later on and show direct earnings losses. So that's, that's one example. Uh, uh, of of these uh, of how like losses due to closed schools can have long run repercussions. Um, another example um, that came to my mind was actually recent research on uh, on on the German short school year. So in Germany in the 1960s, they uh, different parts of the country actually had different times for the summer holidays. So some had them like. Uh, like in early spring around Easter, starting the school year and others in the summer. So they wanted to uh, unify this with the rest of Europe and everybody started after the summer. And the way that many states did it is they had two like short school years and which ultimately means that these kids at the end of the day had about three quarters of a school year less of, of schooling. And this was all planned. And they said like, we're gonna, like, we're gonna make sure that everybody kids gets all the learning that, that it has to get. They organized it and packed it into their curriculum. Um, and there was some initial research of, like 10 years ago suggesting maybe that actually didn't have strong long run effects, but more recent research shows that like even in their now 50s and 60s, the kids that were affected by these reforms and you can literally nice because some states did it at some years, some states uh, at different years, you can nicely uh, use research measures to, to squeeze out what the actual effect of these reforms were. Uh, recent research has shown first that actually uh, even in their 50s and 60s, these the affected uh, students now as adults score significantly lower on, on adult achievement tests in terms of, of math and they have significantly lower earnings uh, uh, throughout their life. So again, like loss of, of schools, uh, like closed schools basically have long run repercussions. And the other thing is actually, well, like we, we briefly talked about that, but but for the US and Canada, there's a lot of research about these summer learning losses where like schools are closed for like sometimes two, three months and kids come back like with much lower skills, particularly kids from, from lower uh, SES backgrounds. And, and some researchers argue that this is really this accumulation of these summer learning losses is what at the end of the day explains a big chunk of, of the ultimate difference between different parts of the population uh, in terms of learning at the end of the day. So uh, all of this is, is very interesting, but you suggest that maybe we can solve the problem by having more intensive learning as we go forward uh, through more personalized instruction and use of technology to uh, accelerate the learning process in our schools. Uh, given the fact that the digital learning experience went so badly in so many countries, uh, during the COVID situation, is this really a viable way out? Well, 
literally given this this research that we talked about, I'm very skeptical that we can fully recoup the learning losses. I don't think that's going to be feasible. Um, but we should do all we can to minimize it. Um, uh, and again, it's going to be like heavily uh, be seen in, uh, among the disadvantaged students. So in, in two dimensions, like the one is the SES that we talked about. So when you learn at home, you have less support there. Um, you have less learning materials, maybe less support from your parents. The other dimension is actually what we find is high and low achieving kids. If you just think about like how well they did in school before the pandemic, um, what we saw in some German analysis in, in particular in terms of like how much they learned during the school closures, like how long and then how effective that was in basic, based on, on their parents' assessments uh, is that um, low achieving students did uh, much worse during uh, during the pandemic. So again, for them, then I, I fear the learning losses will be much harder. So I think we should try to do everything, particularly for these kids where, where we can expect very large learning losses, um, kids from low SES backgrounds and low achieving kids, um, and support them with all means that we can think of. Um, but I wouldn't expect that on average, we can fully close the learning gaps that have, have accumulated. Well, some people have said that this is the greatest step in the wrong direction from equal educational opportunity in our lifetimes. Would you agree? Uh, we will have to see it. Uh, it could well be. I mean, we, we do see like in all the studies that I'm aware of that have test either like this Dutch study, but actually some other studies that we've seen or like time use surveys that we did in Germany that showed that kids, basically the learning time of, of, of students during the first uh, like month long uh, school lockdowns was cut in half in Germany. So from like about seven and a half hours on average on a normal school day before the pandemic to less than three and a half hours to about three and a half hours. And even like then, like nearly a year into the pandemic, when we had the second long lockdown early this year in 2021, uh, it's actually been only little more, like it's about four, 4.3 hours. So it's still more than three hours less than uh, on a usual learning uh, day, school day without school closures. Um, so, this is really, um, yeah, big time losses that, that um, yeah, will be hard to recoup. So given this analysis, would you say we would have been better off as a world if we hadn't shut the, our schools at all and just tolerated higher risks of uh, some people being infected by the, that really the long-term losses in terms of income and its implications for health and longevity, uh, that that's really, that's much worse than has happened in the course of the pandemic. Well, that's a very tough trade-off. And I think in areas where infection rates were very high, uh, there's some like some evidence that it's, yeah, that it's good not to keep schools open. Um, I mean, if it's about saving lives, uh, it's this is hard to trade off against the, the learning losses. Um, on the other hand, actually, on like there's been very interesting studies from Germany, but I also know from stuff from from the U.S. showing that actually school closures, as long as the incidences were at, at, at a mild or like medium level, 
didn't contribute anything to the containment of, uh, of the virus. So you can, like, I'm not a virologist, I'm not quite sure like what, what to make out of all of this, but uh, there, there's clear indication that schools weren't like, uh, for most parts, weren't big part of, of the spreading, at least if schools like implemented measures that made sure that like, they're, like uh, that you contained like kids were wearing masks and so on. Um, in that case, I mean, uh, I, I do think, uh, at least for Germany, I can say that for part of the time, I was strongly arguing that we kind of totally ignore uh, all the costs of the school closures and just like hope it's, it helps in containing uh, the spread of the virus, which is basically just didn't. And uh, so I'm not saying that like if infections are, are very high, you, you should like keep keep everything open that's probably also not a not a great idea but but for a large part of the experience at least in my country i think um it, it was a mistake to to fully close schools and i think the truth is that the the economic losses that will come from from the learning losses uh, in the long run um will draft the, the short run costs of the pandemic uh, uh, even in economic terms. Well, they, they, they will dwarf it. That is to yes. say what we've, the impacts we've suffered so far are trivial compared to the long-term impacts. Like, so if you like, so that's the, like uh, you, you introduced it in the beginning, but actually well, like this one and a half percent uh, lower GDP for the remainder of the century. Um, if the current cohort of students lost about a third of a year's worth uh, of learning. And this is based on research showing that really historically over the past 40, 50 years, if uh, you can look at across countries, which countries are the ones that grow fast and which grow, grow slowly. And probably the, the most important determinant there just empirically is, how the population has fared uh, on these international student achievement tests in terms of basic skills and maths and, and, and science. And so um, based on that, of course, if no, we've got strong learning losses, the cost of that won't be felt for many years. I mean, kids are, most of these kids are still in school. They're not even on the labor market. They don't have any economic impact. But the point is in the long run, this makes a big difference. And so these projections uh, that we are making, suggest that with this lost learning, the economy on average over the next 80 years will uh, be one and a half percent lower. You know, now if we've got whatever, three, five percent of lost GDP due to the direct effects of the pandemic this year, it's going to be for one year or maybe for two years, but the long run costs will be one and a half percent on average for each of the next 80 years, like over the whole lifetime of a kid born today. So these are definitely going to be much, much larger. Well, thank you very much, Ludger. I've been speaking with Ludger Wissman, professor at the University of Munich and director of the Education Research Program at the IFO Institute in Munich, Germany. He, with uh, Eric Kanyushek, is the author of a recently re released report by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Thank you, uh, Ludger, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks, Paul. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education
Education Exchange, please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education X website.